Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. So glad that you were able to come and join with us. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. Special welcome to those of you who are joining us at Ferndale. We're glad that you're here. And a special uh, greeting to those of you who are watching online. We're glad that you are here. A lot of you had to use that last weekend. We were down about 1,000 people from normal because of, our, uh, because of the weather. And yet we had an unbelievable number of people just jump online watch the message from last week and get caught right up. And so those of you that are watching online, we're glad that you're here. Glad you come with us. If you could reach into your program and pull out this green envelope, it's available in your program at both campuses. And I want to make sure that we understand exactly what this is. Every single year at Christ the King, we do something called the Christ the King Blessing. This is an opportunity for us as a church to be somebody else's miracle. Last week, we showed you an incredible story of a young lady by the name of Lindsay Rainford. Lindsay has been battling cancer, and the Christ the King blessing has come alongside of her. The cool thing is, is that uh, last weekend at the 830 service, Lindsay was actually well enough to be able to join us for church, which was an absolute miracle that was fantastic. And so this is an opportunity to get involved in other people's lives. If you go to ctkbellingham.com backslash blessing, there's an online scrapbook there of different stories. This week is a story from the O'Brien family, a young lady from our church uh, who was blessed. And, and we were able to walk alongside of as she was encountering some different financial difficulties. And so this is for you to step into someone else's life and to be a part. Basically, this is an opportunity for you to be an answer to somebody else's prayer. And so I just want to encourage you to be looking at those, to be considering that. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Next week, believe it or not, we're starting our Christmas series. We're going to transform the worship center into a Christmas setting. And we're going to invite you to come every single week. And I'm going to be on you about this all the way through Christmas. Christmas is an incredible time when people's hearts are soft towards the gospel and the things of Christ. It's an incredible opportunity to invite them to come and step out of the chaos of the world at Christmas and jump in here into the peacefulness of Christmas. And I want to encourage you as a church to be the people we say that we are and invite somebody to come along. You're going to get sick of me saying this statistic, but I'm going to say it over and over and over again until you do something about it. Three out of four people would come to church if somebody would just invite them. Three out of four. So I was out for lunch this week with a guy who's a good friend of mine. We sit down and he said to the lady who was waiting on our table, I heard a statistic at church this weekend. The three out of four people would come to church if somebody would just invite them. So I'd like to invite you to come and join us at Christ the King Church sometime during, Christmas, uh, during the Christmas season, and especially for Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve. And you know what her answer was? I will give that serious thought. That's a step in the right direction for her, because I have no idea what her journey is, and neither do you. And so I want to encourage you to be inviters during this time, and we're going to spend some incredible time together during the Christmas season. If you need to know what we're up to at Christmas, this is available in the comments. It's available at Fern Day as well. This is a list of all of the stuff we're doing for Christmas. It's very busy around here during the Christmas season. Grab one of these, put this stuff on your calendar. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our family Christmas program, or our candlelight communion, or our five Christmas Eve services or the Christmas or the services the week after. Lots of details there, and you can grab one of those on your way out the door. Well, if I haven't said it before, happy Thanksgiving. My prayer for Christ the King this year is that our hearts would be filled with gratitude to God for your family, for your home, for your apartment, for your turkey, for your can of Chef Boyardee, however you decided to celebrate. My prayer is that we would be unbelievably thankful. 
Last week, I shared about a conversation that I overheard and was actually able to be a part of while I was in Africa. If you were amongst the thousand people who couldn't be here last weekend, you can go to ctkbellingham.com, take a look at it, because um, I have never gotten as much response to a message in my eight years of being the senior pastor here like I did last week. And so obviously God struck a nerve at some level. And so I I shared with you last week about a conversation that I had with a little boy named Evans. And and this week I want to share a different conversation in Africa that I was able to eavesdrop on. It wasn't a conversation between me and the person. In fact, it was a conversation between a little tiny girl and her savior. I went, to a, I, I went to a feeding program on the outskirts of Nairobi and a group of children lined up to receive a meal. And I'll tell you what, if you ever want to have your heart melted, you listen to a small child thank God for the single meal they're going to eat that day and possibly for three or four days. You listen to that gratitude pour out of your heart and, and, and you try to figure out what you're going to do with that. Because I found myself sitting with a little group of children in one of the African schools that we were at. And each one of the kids had in front of them a small plate of rice and beans. Tiny little plate. We would call it an appetizer. They called it dinner. And this little girl was asked by her teacher to stand up and to pray a prayer of a blessing over top of all the children who were going to eat in the next couple of minutes. And this is exactly, and I quote, what came out of her mouth. I appreciate you, God, for this food, which is a gift. I asked you for my daily bread, and you have come through for me again. This food, you could have given it to anyone, but you gave it to me. I will not waste it. I will enjoy it. I will not complain about it. I will receive it. I am your child. You are my father. Asante sana. Thank you very, very much. I love you. Amen. I don't use the accent to try and make fun. I want you to to feel it. I want you to hear it. I want you to sense it. If I could, I'd love for you to be able to smell what rice and beans smells like when it's wrapped in gratitude. I love that prayer. Honest, simple, filled with gratitude. One of the most beautiful pre-meal prayers that I've ever had the privilege of hearing in my entire life. Some of us grew up praying lots of different ways before a meal. I'm going to take a quick poll. How many of you did not pray? You just were simply weren't raised in an environment. You did not pray before meals when you were growing up. It's okay, you're not losing any points. Hands up. Okay, great, awesome. How many of you came from the God is good, God is great, let us thank him for the food group? There's a pack of you, awesome, okay. Uh, who, Who came from the come Lord Jesus be our guest, let this food to us be blessed group, okay. Who came from the, your father, pre, your father prayed like he was a preacher, went on and on and on, and the food got cold every single time, and you didn't care what he was praying. That's awesome. Okay, that's good. I tried to pull off a bless the meat, bless the skin, open your mouth, and stuff it in one time. That did not go over well in my Baptist family. I did not eat that night. Just not recommended for anybody. 
I found a great Thanksgiving prayer that you can use next time around, next year, okay? It goes like this. May your stuffing be tasty and your turkey be plump. May your potatoes and gravy have nary a lump. May your yams be delicious and your pies take a prize. And may your Thanksgiving dinner stay off of your thighs. Amen. Okay. <laughs> you can use that next year, all right? On this post-Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to take a step into a very unexpected Thanksgiving meal. We're going to watch Jesus as he meets an overwhelming need with his miraculous power. And I'm going to read a famous chunk of scripture, and then I'm going to pause every once in a while, and we're just going to walk through this one together. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Let's just stop there for a second. We get this picture of Jesus as this unbelievably always serious, borderline depressed kind of savior. He never cracks a smile. He never has any fun. He never has an inside joke going on. This is an inside joke in scripture. Because he already knows exactly what's going down. What do you think we're going to do, Philip? How in the world are we going to feed all of these people who just happen to show up on this grassy hillside? Philip's like, I have no idea. That's the point. That's the point. Scripture goes on. It says this, Philip answered him. Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go amongst so many? Let's stop there just for a second. We get this nice, beautiful, sanitized picture of the story every time, right? If you went to Sunday school... They, they paint this picture of this, this wonderful, serene little child with his little pack lunch showing up in the middle of this huge, expansive throng of people walking up going, here you go, Jesus. I overheard that you were going to try and feed some people. I ain't got much, but I've got this little bucket, so here you go. Have you ever met a kid that gave up food willingly? Ever in your life. Have you ever tried to take a slice of pizza from a middle school student? Does that go with this particular picture of Scripture? And that's not what the text says. The text says, Peter shows up and goes, here's a kid with some food. I can see the kid, right? Excuse me? I ain't got no lunch. I mean, if the little kid was OCD like me, he probably was saying something like this. You know, it's not my fault none of you people thought ahead, you know? My mom told me I was supposed to come prepared all the time, so that's exactly what I did. I packed some essentials, you know. My mom packed me a happy meal, and if you think I'm giving it away to you, you are so unbelievably wrong, you know. I mean, I don't know how it went down, but the Bible says Jesus ends up with the food, and then it actually says this in verse 10. Oop, I flipped my page. There we go. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks. Let's just stop right there for a moment. The Bible says Jesus gave thanks, that he said grace just before a miracle happened. He said that that, that he gave some kind of a blessing. Some translations actually say that he blessed the food. He asked for God's blessing, not just on the food, but what was about to take place. So let's answer a question this weekend, and in doing so, let's, let's get a little bit more knowledgeable about gratitude and thanksgiving. I think the question is this. What was Jesus blessing? What was he blessing? 
What was Jesus giving thanks for? Well, I believe that Jesus was giving thanks for a bunch of different things, but I'm going to list just a couple of them, and you can follow along in your outline if you'd like to. I believe Jesus was blessing the provision of the Father, and I think he was doing it in advance. Jesus knew his Father was going to come through. Jesus knew these people needed daily bread in order to survive. And he believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that his father in heaven was absolutely in tune with people's needs. Jesus knew God the father meets people in their needs, not in their wants. And this is where we get so unbelievably messed up. God doesn't meet people in their want. And that's why you and I get frustrated when you tell God you want something And when you don't get a yes, your automatic deduction is, well, then Jesus doesn't love me very much. Have you ever considered that what you're asking for is a want and not a need? God loves you enough to take care of your needs. And let me tell you why he focuses on needs. He focuses on needs because you, focusing on your wants, bring something into your life that's called a distraction. And if you've got enough distractions in your life, I'll tell you something about distractions. Distractions always become idols. And you end up worshiping that thing that you need because in your brain, you actually don't need it. You actually want it. You have to have it. You want to wrap yourself around it. Every year, I have a ritual. I go to Black Friday. And I wander around stores. My daughter and my wife go to shop. I go to collect sermon illustrations. And Whatcom County never leads or never ever leaves me wanting. So this past year, I find myself in line behind a guy who found out that an item that he wanted was no longer in stock. He freaked out. He cussed out the entire line. He just started shredding anybody that was in front of them, especially if they had one of the items that he wanted really, really badly. He just started cussing people out. He had a special place of venom for those Canadians who were standing in the line. They got a special reservation in a bad place, according to this guy. And he was just losing it. Finally, some security starts moving towards him. Some store employees start working towards him. And they eventually are like, okay, sir, you need to step out of line and exit the store. You don't get to stay around here and talk with that kind of language. You're not welcome here anymore. And they start getting ready to escort him out of the store. And he's just cussing these people up and down because they did not have something that he wanted really, really badly. My favorite part of the whole exchange, one of the store employees finally stops. He's had enough. And this guy's like five foot six. This other guy's like six foot four. And this little guy just says, he stops the whole thing with this line. Sir! It's a Barbie. Yes. It's a Barbie. This guy lost his dignity. He lost his temper over a small plastic doll. You know, seeing I'm on my Good Friday rant, I'm just going to say one other thing because I want to help all of you because that's what church is about. We want to help you out. Okay, I'm just going to tell you in advance, nobody on your list actually wants a Snuggie. It's a blanket with holes cut in it. I saw a lady at JCPenney getting 26 Snuggies. She's going to have the most disappointed family on the face of the earth. 
Here's a pink blanket with holes cut in it. I mean, seriously, if you, somebody actually wanted that, there's an answer for that. They're called scissors, right? It's not that difficult. Unbelievable. If you bought them, take them back. Seriously. I don't even think Jesus likes Snuggies, just to say it. Okay, right? Back to the scriptures, all right? <laughs> These people didn't want food. They needed it. They needed it. And Jesus knew exactly who to ask. So my question is this. What needs are you presenting to Jesus this Christmas? Some of you are praying, God, I need you to save my home. Some of you are praying, God, I need you to get me a job. Some of you are praying, God, I need you to heal my body. Ask the same person Jesus asked. He knows the difference between a want and a need, and he promised he would always provide for you, not often in the way you picture it, but he promised he'd come through. Secondly, I believe Jesus is is blessing the sacrifice of the boy. I mean, I don't really know how it all went down, but we know that Jesus somehow ends up with the boy's food. The boy gives it up, and God is honored with his sacrifice. And we learn a lesson here. When we give to Jesus, it's always blessed and multiplied. Now, make sure you get this, okay? We don't give, we don't sacrifice in order to get something back. That's not the way it works. We don't make a sacrifice and then stand there expecting that God's going to take note, multiply it, round up, and then hand it right back to us. That's not the way God's economy works. Sometimes the blessing comes back to us simply in knowing that we were obedient. Sometimes the blessing comes back in the form of a peaceful heart that rests easy, just knowing that you partnered with God in an amazing plan, maybe not even to touch yourself, but to touch somebody else's life. Sacrifice always touches you and the ones God chooses to receive your blessing. I mean, I believe that God does some incredibly wonderful and beautiful miracles through tiny little pieces of paper. If you don't believe me, ask somebody who got a part of the blessing last year. They would say that Jesus blesses the sacrifice of God's people. And he multiplies it out and he disperses it as he sees fit because it all belongs to him in the first place. Amen? It's all his in the first place. What else is Jesus blessing? He's blessing the need of the people. And these people needed food. I just returned from an area of the world that needed rain. They didn't want rain. They needed rain. Some of them have been praying all of the time, continuously for four years. And I was there when they got their answer. It's an amazing thing to watch people dance in the streets when it's raining. We don't do that, right? We duck for cover and run, right? You know, these people celebrated in the streets because God had answered something that they needed. You know, this is what amazed me. Their trial, this adversity of having no rain, it deepened their faith in God. It didn't detract from their faith in God. Instead of pushing it away from him, it pushed them in towards him. I mean, because of this growing need, they just seem to press in all of the more. I don't know about you, when my need doesn't get met, sometimes I just give up. In fact, I get ticked. I somehow just reasoned in my head that God somehow just missed it. How could he not understand my need? And then when I really look at it deeply, I discover something. It's usually not a need. It's usually a want. I mean, these people prayed up and pressed in. They got to live out Habakkuk chapter 3 that teaches us what to do 
when we're asking and asking and it appears that there's no answer or relief in sight. If, you, if you've ever wanted to know what you're supposed to do when you don't get an answer and when it seems like your situation is getting worse and worse and worse, you need to look in Habakkuk chapter 3 because it says this. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. means this. When your 401k is a 200.5k, when there's nothing left in your bank account, when you're wondering where your next rent check is going to come from, when you're living on popcorn and top ramen, and I don't just mean the college students, okay? That's a choice, right? When you're living at that level, the Bible says that our response is to rejoice in the Lord, to be joyful in God, my Savior. You know what I think would have happened in Africa if they'd not received rain while I was there? I think they would have kept right on praying. I think they would have kept right on asking and hoping and rejoicing. You know, this may seem a little cliche for some of you, but I think it's a great reminder, especially during the Thanksgiving season. I thought it was so important. I put it in your program and in your outline. In the good, praise God. In the difficult, seek God. In the quiet, worship God. In the pain, trust God. And in every moment, thank God. I just think that's good wisdom. The scripture actually continues and says, it says, Jesus gave thanks and then he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of, of, of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw this sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Just so you know, that last little phrase, surely this is the prophet who's about to come into the world, that's an amazing forecast of a season that we're coming into. It's called Christmas. These people recognized in this moment that there was a Messiah standing right in front of them, that he'd stepped out of heaven that he had endured, he'd walked through the incarnation, that he'd become human flesh, and now their Messiah was standing right in front of him. And that's what we're going to be celebrating over the next couple of weeks as we enter into Christmas. The fact that God came here. What an amazing thought. In the first part of this, this, this unbelievable account, we saw that Jesus was blessing the provision of God the Father, the sacrifice of the boy, and then the need of the people. And in the second part of the account, we continue to ask the same question. What was Jesus blessing? Well, let's not miss something obvious. He was blessing the actual food, right? He actually was praying over top of the food. He takes the common food of the day, what normal people would have eaten back then, barley loaves and fish. And he takes it and he gives thanks Christ the King, this may seem so unbelievably remedial, but let me ask a question. Do you do that? I don't care how you do it. Do you do it? Do you thank God that he put food on your plate? In a world where so many have so little, 
and our plates are overflowing with abundance, do we actually stop to simply say thanks? I mean, Jesus is saying thanks, and he can make bread out of rocks. Do we actually do it? Are we those people who don't want to offend anybody in a restaurant? So we just kind of keep it between us and him. I'm not saying make a big show. I'm not saying draw a spectacle for yourself. I'm not saying say grace for everybody in the restaurant. But I'm asking you just a simple question. As a follower of Jesus who fully understands where that food came from, do you stop and say thank you to the God who gave it to you? I saw a beautiful little African girl do that, and I was so unbelievably moved. It was one of the most holy moments that I've ever had the opportunity to sit inside. Okay, this is where it gets really good. Jesus blesses the actual food, and then he blesses something else. If you look really close at it, he blesses the leftovers. The Bible says everyone has eaten their fill, and Jesus instructed them not to waste anything, but to gather up the leftovers. Do you know why he did that? We all know why he did that. It's because the leftovers are the best part, aren't they? I mean, I love Thanksgiving Day dinner, but the next day, when you go back and kind of ramp it up one more time, that's a beautiful, unbelievable thing. I mean, I don't think that John is trying to create a case for leftovers here. I think his point is pretty simple. I think his point is this. The provision of God is a blessing, and it should never be wasted. Christ the King, the blessing of God in our lives is abundant and it should never be wasted. Never be wasted. You know, I I have been so unbelievably humbled in the last couple of weeks because I went to a place where most of the people that I met could live off of my leftovers. It just blew me away, humbled me broke my heart in some circumstances because of how easily I just moved into that leftover mentality. And how I, how I give God my leftovers. I give Him the energy I've got left at the end of the day. That's when I'll pray. I'll give Him whatever energy I've got left over at the end of the day because I'm really, really busy with my career. I'll focus on on the gifts that he's given me when I've got time, because after all, I've got a very, very busy schedule and I do a lot of things. My friends, God doesn't do leftovers. Now, he'll use leftovers. But isn't it amazing that God calls us as his children not to give him leftovers, but instead to give him the first fruits, the very best of what we have. God can multiply and bless anything he wants to, but we're called to give the most high God, the most high gift that we possibly have. And that's the best of us, not what's left over. I've been thinking a ton about this over the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking a lot about it because as I served at the feeding program, I noticed something about the plates of the children that came back to me so that I could wash them. They were completely clean. There wasn't a thing left on any of them. They were completely picked clean because if anything was left over, you know what I saw the kids doing? They were sharing it with the smaller children. 
sneaking stuff to each other, trying to spread it around to make sure that their little brothers and sisters got enough to eat. You know, we have so much, and I don't ever want us to feel guilty about that. My question is this, what are we doing with it? The Bible says that we've been blessed to be a blessing. What are we doing with it? How are we paying it forward? Into whose life are we investing it? I mean, here's another thing that I noticed over there. How is it that people who've got so unbelievably little beat me hands down when it comes to joy? How come they have so unbelievably little and they can take me out when it comes to praise and worshiping God because they're so unbelievably wrapped in joy because he just came through for them that day. They're not even worried about tomorrow. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. It almost makes me wonder if their wealth in joy and gratitude is exposing my own spiritual poverty. You know what I wonder after being there? I wonder whether or not we're the poor ones. Can I get an amen on that one? I know that hurts, but I mean, seriously. I wonder whether or not we're the poor ones because you know what I see? I see I've got so much stuff I don't need God for much, truthfully. I need him when I'm in a crisis. I need him when I want something really, really bad. I need him when I need to make a deal because I send myself into a corner and I don't know how to get myself back out again and I need him to bail me out. But other than that, I don't need him very much. I met people and all they have is God and they're rich. Rich beyond measure. So I bring us back to that central little idea one more time. I don't want any of us to walk out of here feeling guilty. My question is always this. We have been so unbelievably blessed. So who are we going to bless with our blessing? Who are we going to pay that forward to? The Bible says he blesses and he gives thanks. And I believe there's one more aspect of what Jesus is blessing. I think he's blessing the miracle. 5,000 men. We have no idea how many women and children were accompanying them up to Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, if you put him in a families of four, he could have fed 20,000 people that day. And before it happens, he thanks God in advance. I've been asking myself this question this week. Do I have that kind of faith? Do I have the kind of faith that believes that God could take my sacrifice and bless not hundreds, but thousands? I love this story. I love this story because if God can meet that kind of a need, I know he can meet my need. This story gives me hope. It gives me faith. It gives me faith because I know God will use my sacrifice in the lives of thousands if I'm willing to sacrifice. It gives me love because the same Jesus who did this miracle is still doing miracles today. It gives me faith. It gives me hope. It gives me love. If you were here last week, does that sound familiar to anybody? But these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is it's love. And we stand at the beginning of December on the edge of an amazing opportunity to love somebody. In Jesus' name. To touch somebody in Jesus' name. To look at everything that he's given us and say, how can I use this? How can I leverage this to be a blessing? I I intentionally made it very, very difficult last week 
for people to sponsor children. In fact, you'll notice some of you went looking for a table to sponsor kids because you were motivated and there was no table in the commons. That was on purpose. Because I learned something that was very, very difficult for me to hear. Most children who are sponsored after one year, the gift just stops coming. Because we get lazy and we get focused on our stuff. So I made it difficult. You know what the incredibly good news was for me? I've got some ringers on the inside of some organizations. And one organization in particular that I mentioned a couple of times last week suddenly had an influx of child sponsorships after last weekend. I'm not making it easy for you. You may have to actually go to the internet and research, how do I sponsor a child? I think you can figure it out. I think God could use your leftovers to change somebody's life. Some of you asked, how can I contribute to that AIDS drug that I talked about last week? There's a drug in Africa that they give one dose to the mom, two doses to the baby during childbirth, and it 100% prevents the transmission of AIDS between the mom and the baby. Some of you were as shocked as I was when you found out how much that costs. 85 cents. Some of you are asking, how do I buy doses? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. We've been blessed to be a blessing, and we have an opportunity to be a blessing all through this Christmas season. My encouragement to you is this. Just keep your eyes open. We have a tradition um, of hanging out with an incredibly special family on Thanksgiving. We've been hanging out together, I think, almost every year for the last 16 years on Thanksgiving Day. And normally, as part of our time together, we exchange Christmas gifts. I got the best Christmas gift that I have ever received this past Thursday. And they gave me a little piece of paper with the picture of two chickens and a goat on it. I have seen the power of a chicken and a goat on the other side of the world. And I've received some beautiful gifts over my 43, almost 44 years of living on this life. But that, was the most beautiful gift I could have ever gotten because I saw with my own eyes the difference a chicken and a goat can make if somebody who's been blessed will just care enough about somebody else to be a blessing. Christ the King, next week we start a brand new series called Another Way Home. I hope you'll invite a friend that you'll use your blessing to touch somebody else this Christmas season, and that because of the work that God's doing in our hearts right now, that Whatcom County will never, ever be the same. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I want to thank you once again for warm food and roofs over our heads. Thank you that we could come and be here and worship you in spirit and in truth, in freedom, without fear of persecution. I pray that, that you would continue to do an incredibly deep work. God, we don't want to be guilted into doing something. We don't want to be shamed into doing something. Father, we want to be the kind of children who come to you and say, Jesus, I know you can use this. 
You take what's yours. And you bless it. And you multiply it. And you give it to whoever you want to. Because I just want the joy of seeing a miracle. So God, as we think and pray and process over the next couple of weeks coming into this Christmas season, would you please do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine in making us generous, giving people. And we'll give you all of the glory and all of the credit. For it is in your good name that we pray. Amen.